Here's something every professional writer knows. There's already readers out there to gobble up your book. If only they knew it existed. These readers are your target audience. They're the readers you want to thrill, and they're the readers you've got to connect with if you want your book to be a success. Your mission as an author is to find those readers, or perhaps put another way, your mission is to help them find you. They're out there looking for you. They're out there looking for the kind of book you're writing, but they may not know about you yet. They may not know about your book. They need to know that your book scratches that itch that they have in their mind for your kind of story or your kind of nonfiction book. Your target audience wants to find you and you want to find them. So what do you do? The key is to connect with them. And the process of building your connection with your readers before your book comes out is called building a platform. It's called that even after your book comes out. And these days, authors who want to work with big traditional publishers must build their platform first, especially if they're writing nonfiction, but also if they're writing fiction. And even indie authors, at least the smart, savvy ones, the ones that sell a lot of books, also build their platforms ahead of time. It's no secret you need a platform. You've probably heard it a dozen times. You've heard it on this podcast. You've heard it in the conferences that you go to. You've read about it in the books you read. The challenge is knowing how to build the platform. I'm Thomas Umstead, Jr., CEO of Author Media, and this is Novel Marketing, the longest-running book marketing podcast in the world. This is the show for writers who want to build their platform, sell more books, and change the world with writing worth talking about. And in this episode, I have a special treat for you. Last week, I hosted a webinar titled How to Get Started Building an Author Platform. And this episode is the audio of that webinar, or at least the first part of the webinar where I was presenting. If you've never heard me speak in public or heard me at a conference, this gives you a good idea of kind of what that's like. Obviously, it's 2020. This is a virtual presentation. And I did cut, there's about 40 minutes of Q&A at the end. I cut the Q&A. So this is just the presentation. There's no slides. It's just audio. I do have a link for those of you who want to watch the full thing, including the question and answer session. We'll have a link to that in the show notes, but I hope you enjoy this audio version of the How to Get Started Building an Author Platform webinar. So let's talk about how to start building a rejection-proof author platform, and I'd like to start this off with a story. Once upon a time, there were three little pigs, and they were set off by their mother to go and find their fortune. The first little pig came across a man selling straw, and he said, if you buy my straw, you can have a house today. And wouldn't you know it, the first little pig had a house that very day. Now, the next little pig came across a man selling sticks, and he said, these sticks are better than straw, but they are more work. But if you're willing to buy my sticks, you can have a house in just a few days. And sure enough, the second little pig had a house just a couple of days later. And the first and second little pig laughed and played in the sun. And they made fun of the third little pig who was hard at work building his house with bricks. But the third little pig knew something that the first little pigs did not. And that was that there was, say it with me, a big bad Wolf And the big bad wolf came across the house, the first little pig, and he huffed and he puffed and he blew the house down and he ate the first little pig. Now, some of you grew up with the Disney censored version of this story, but let me assure you, the grim fairy tale 
is a little bit more grim. And he ate the first little pig. Now, the second little pig was in his house of sticks. In the, uh, a few days later, the big bad wolf was hungry. He came across the house of sticks. He huffed and he puffed and he blew. The house did not blow down. And then he set a fire and the house burned down. And the big bad wolf had a feast of roast little pig. Now, the big bad wolf came across the house of the third little pig. And he huffed and he puffed and he blew. And the house would not blow down, and he burned, and the house would not burn down, and the third little pig lived happily ever after. So, why tell this story? Well, if those of you who've been listening to the podcast know I reference this story a lot because I think it has a lot to say. There's ancient wisdom in these old stories, and the sad reality is that most authors believe build their platforms poorly. And they do it because they're building with the wrong materials. Uh, more specifically, they are believing some myths that are hijacking their production of their book. They're hijacking their marketing. So let's talk about the first myth. To kick off this first myth, I want to ask you a question. That is, why do you write? Why are you here? <laughs> Why are you at a webinar about building a platform? Are you writing because you want to be somebody? Because publishing is going to be your path to a better life so that you can have the respect and affirmation of your peers that they will sing your name in the streets? Or are you here because you want to do something? Because you want to change the world? Because you want to make a difference? This is a really important distinction. Uh, a lot of authors write because they're looking for validation. And those authors end their publishing careers in sadness and despair. Publishing is not a good place for people who need affirmation. This is a place of challenge and rejection. And you need a higher purpose if you want to succeed. Authors who do have that higher purpose have a huge advantage in doing the hard things required to be successful in publishing. Now, that higher purpose can be providing for your family, but it's got to be something. It can't be all about you. I've worked with a lot of authors, and I can't think of a single one who is all about himself or herself, and she went on to be successful. You need that higher purpose. Now, a lot of authors struggle with this question. When is it okay to sell yourself? Well, I would like to answer this question with a story, and it's a story about Dr. Barry Marshall. Dr. Barry Marshall was a physician in Australia, and he had been working with patients who had ulcers. And he came to believe, after working with ulcer patients for many years, that what was taught in the textbooks, that ulcers were caused by too much stomach acid, caused by stress, greasy food, and alcohol, was wrong, that it was a fundamentally flawed approach to treating ulcers. And his belief was that the stomach acid was actually the body's attempt, a failed attempt, but the body's attempt to fight the true cause of stomach ulcers, and that giving a patient an antacid actually made their stomach ulcer worse in the long run. Well, he took his research to the medical community, and they were not impressed, <laughs> to say the least. But they did give him permission to test his findings on some wee little pigs. So he did some tests on some pigs, and it did not validate his theory. It turns out that pigs have a very robust digestive system. And I'm not a physician, but I could have told you that. Pigs and goats can eat anything. 
And so Dr. Barry Marshall comes back to the medical community and says, I know I wasn't able to prove my findings with the animal trials, but I'd like to do human trials because I know I'm right. I know you're wrong and you're treating ulcer patients all wrong. And they said, no way, Jose. <laughs> they, they did not give him permission. Now he's stuck. He knows he's right. He knows they are wrong, but he doesn't have permission to do human trials. And so Dr. Barry Marshall does a very risky thing. He brews a broth of H. pylori bacteria and he drinks it himself and he gives himself and he's expecting to get an ulcer after a year or two. He gets an ulcer in just two weeks. I was like, well, if this bacteria is the cause of the ulcer, what will happen if I take an extreme regimen of antibiotics? He takes the antibiotics and he cures his ulcer. So Dr. Barry Marshall has now discovered both the cause and the cure for a sickness that affects as much as 5% of the human population at one point or another in their lives. So when is it okay for Dr. Barry Marshall to promote himself? When is it okay for him to sell himself? If he were to say, oh, I don't want people to think that I'm some great scientist, that I'm some great physician. I don't want to get my name out there and have people think that I'm something. And he kept his findings to himself. That would be terrible. In fact, that would be, if you're a Christian, sin. It says in the Bible, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. That's what it says in the book of James. You have an obligation to the truth that you've discovered to share it with others. You can't keep your discovery to yourself. Dr. Barry Marshall had an obligation to the truth that he discovered to build his own credibility so that other people in the medical community would listen to him. He had an obligation to go in front of the media and to build a platform and to get known as an ulcer researcher and to do whatever it took to get the word out about his findings. In fact, he and some other physicians even made a comic book telling the story of him drinking the H. pylori bacteria, and they would distribute the comic book at medical conventions, trying to change the minds of the medical community. And in 2005, Dr. Barry Marshall won the Nobel Prize for Medicine, and all of those medical textbooks have now been revised. And if you have an ulcer and you go to your local doctor, they are going to treat it in an entirely different way. They're going to detect it in an entirely different way. And all because Barry Marshall not only had the courage to experiment on himself, but he also had the courage to get the word out about his findings. So why do you write? Is your fame a means or is it an end? There is nothing wrong with being famous. In fact, if you are making a difference in the world, being famous is the inevitable outcome. But if what you are doing, you are doing so that you can become famous, you've got it all backwards. Now, a lot of authors know this inside and they give big speeches about how it's not all about them. I just want to tell the story that's on my heart. And I'm just so passionate about this story. I, I want to tell it. And the whole time they're talking about how it's not all about them, they're still talking about themselves. <laughs> if you're writing because you want to be validated, you're not ready. <laughs> like I said before, publishing will not give you the validation you seek. Authorship is leadership. With nonfiction, you're leading readers into a new way of thinking. And with fiction, you're doing something even more. You're leading them into a whole new world. And leadership, good leadership, is service. 
more people you serve and the better you serve them, the more followers you will have. You have to be willing to serve if you want to lead. And you can't both lead and hide. And for some of you, this is the most important slide of this entire presentation. You are not ready to build a platform until you're ready to stand on the platform. And you won't be ready to stand in on the platform until you believe in what you have to say. You have to have actually discovered some truth. If Dr. Barry Marshall didn't know what he was talking about, if he thought that ulcers were caused by the sun and star alignment and that you had to you know, go out on a full moon and dance in a circle, he shouldn't have built a platform because he would have been filled with nonsense. And some people are filled with nonsense and they've got to work that out first. They've got to actually find some truth worth sharing. But if you have found some truth worth sharing, if you have a story that will resonate with audiences, you have to be willing to lead if you want to make a difference with your writing. So that is strong. That is, for some people, the most important thing. Now let's talk about the second biggest myth, the second biggest obstacle keeping authors from building a platform. And it's one I imagine many of you have already heard. So I want you to post in the chat if you've heard a version of this statement. Platform is your following on social media. And anybody heard this? Platform is the following you have on social media. Platform is you're following on social media. Some people are like, social media is platform. They go so far as to say that. So let's talk a little bit about social media. And the first thing we need to say about social media is that most social accounts are fake. Each nation, at least each wealthy nation, and every major corporation has their own army of bot accounts. Not to mention the hackers who have their armies of bot accounts and the trolls who have their uh, armies of bot accounts. And these bots are programmed to look human. And one of the ways they look human is by liking author pages, <laughs> not just author pages, but other pages, seemingly at random. And by doing human looking things on the platform, it allows them to do their nefarious actions. And the nefarious actions could be anything from toppling a government to scraping data and building up a database. Like there's all kinds of bots doing all kinds of things. And there are hundreds of millions, if not billions of bot accounts roaming the internet. If you've got a thousand likes on Facebook, there's a good chance as many as half of them are either abandoned accounts created by humans, some of which may have been taken over by a bot who is now sockpuckpitting that account that once was run by a human and now is not, or they're bot accounts from the beginning. And this is especially true if you grew your page with ads. You see, social media is a little bit like the Matrix, and there are a lot of robots pretending to be human, and they are very good at it. This person does not exist. I generated this photo at thispersondoesnotexist.com. It uses a special form of AI. It's a combative form of AI where one AI program creates an image and another AI program tries to debunk that image and only the images that don't get debunked get through. And you can go there right now. This person does not exist.com and generate face after face after face that look like snapshots like you would see on Facebook. And none of these people are human. And what they can do with photos, they can do with video, they can do with audio, and they can do with text. It's all done with machine learning and it's all done with artificial intelligence. So those people you're interacting with 
may not even be human. And there's no good way to tell because the only ones that get through the filters are the ones that get through the filters. And it's incredibly difficult to prove who's human and who's not. But that's not the only challenge. It's not just the bots that are brought from the outside, the artificial intelligence that's brought from the outside. The other problem is the artificial intelligence on the inside. So social media sites use artificial intelligence to determine what users see and don't see. And on Facebook, uh, if you are creating content from your page, these algorithms will filter out about 97% of your content. So you're only reaching on any given time 3% of your audience. So let's run through some numbers and take a look at what this means when it comes to selling books. Let's say you have 1,000 likes. And your page is you know, a year or two old. You've been growing it with ads, and only 500 of those likes are human. Now, only 3% of your human followers are going to see your content. So that brings us down to just 15 views. So you doing your post, my new book is out. Here's a link to Amazon. Only 15 of your 1,000 likes are going to be actual humans viewing it. And let's say these people are excited, they're ready, and you get an astounding 33% click rate on that image. Not everyone clicks on every link they see on Facebook. In fact, most people don't click on most things most of the time. But let's say you're getting 33%. For the sake of this math, that means you're getting five clicks on Amazon. And let's say your landing page on Amazon, the, the page all about your book is really well optimized. And you've got a 20% conversion rate, which is good. That is a really good conversion rate. There's a lot of authors who would kill for a conversion rate that good. But let's say you've got a really good landing page, and these are warm leads coming to it. So if you have 20% of your five clicks getting your book, that means you get one sale at the bottom of this stack. This is why you can't build a platform on social media. You could, right? Back in 2008, when Obama was president-elect Obama, he wasn't even president yet, social media was very different. And people could go from obscurity to known celebrity on social media alone. That doesn't happen anymore. Now, social media is dominated by big brands and pre-existing celebrities. There are people that on their very first day on Twitter, they get that blue check mark because they're already a celebrity. Social media is great. If you're already famous, you want to interact with all of your fans. It is not a good way to get famous in the first place. And this is a really important distinction. J.K. Rowling didn't get famous because she did social media. She did social media because she was already famous. And for many of you, this is a good thing. The fall of social media is a thing to celebrate because social media, it's important to say, even back in the day when it worked better, it was expensive. The biggest myth about social media is that social media was free. The gurus who are hyping social media were encouraging authors to spend an hour or two on social media every day or every weekday. So that's between 300 and 600 hours a year. So let's talk about the cost of that. Depending on how fast you write, that is either a book or two books every year that didn't get written because you were on social media instead. That is incredibly expensive. You gave up an entire book this year to try to build engagement. That is really costly because that book would have made you a better writer. It's not just that it would have reached readers. You get better at writing every time you write a book. The carpenter doesn't just build the house. The house builds the carpenter. Or let's say you were an editor or a virtual assistant working with other authors and you're making $20 an hour. 
Some editors especially make a lot more than that. But let's say for the sake of math, you're making $20 an hour doing editing and you were spending $300 to $600 on social media. If you spent that time editing instead, you would have made between $6,000 and $12,000. Just imagine all of the effective marketing you could do with $12,000. That is the cost of social media. But social media was also very toxic. The pressure to look like you had it all together, especially if you're wanting to be traditionally published and you're wanting to attract a publisher, so you felt like you could all you had to always look perfect, was poisonous, psychologically poisonous. And there's a lot of research that's come out that time on social media is connected to depression and anxiety. And let me just ask you, are you more depressed and anxious now than you were 10 years ago? My guess is for most of you, the case is yes, you are. And now, obviously, it's a little unfair to ask that in 2020, but I bet it would have been true even if I'd have asked it last year. But it's more than that. It's more than the anxiety that comes from constantly being exposed to other people's approval and disapproval. Many authors, and I've watched this in my last decade of working with authors, got derailed from thrilling their readers with their books and started chasing likes, shares, and comments because, and the ones who often fell prey to this were the ones looking for validation. And if you're looking for validation, why do the hard work of writing a book when your post to social media gets you hearts right away? And those hearts felt like real validation. It felt like something real, even though it was not. And deep down, we know that it's not. And that's why social media is so toxic <laughs> psychologically, because we know that a Facebook friend is not the same as a real friend. And this needs to be said again, social media was ineffective. Even when it worked, it didn't work well. And remember, I've been a marketing consultant from the rise of social media all the way to the current day. In fact, my very first ad that I bought on social media, I was buying ads on Facebook way before it was cool. My first Facebook ad was called a campus flyer because it was back when Facebook was only for college students. And I was a college student when Facebook was only for college students. I bought an ad campaign promoting senior skip day. Now, when social media worked, it worked best for successful extroverted authors. And it was successful for extroverted authors who enjoyed doing social media and they did it during their free time. The authors who were, you know, tweeting from their toilets, time that would otherwise be wasted, and, and they enjoyed that social interaction. And these authors would often present at conferences to rooms full of mostly introverted authors that for whom social media was this burdensome obligation that they did out of a sense of duty and desperation. They hated it. And if that is your mindset going in to social media, it will not work for you. So you could have made it work. It's very hard to make it work today. So that is sticks. It's more work than straw and yet still does not protect you from the big bad wolf. In many ways, it's the worst of both worlds because you, those thousands of hours you've spent on social media, you're never going to get those back. I would like to share with you a better way. I would like to talk about bricks. Now, there are hundreds of bricks. And for those of you who listen to my podcast, Novel Marketing, a Christian publishing show, every episode is a brick, more or less. But I want to share a couple of really key bricks with you today. And the first brick is to focus on the benefits. If your book is a box of Cracker Jacks, what is the prize inside the box? 
a lot of authors are like Calvin and Calvin and Hobbes. He's got this uh, lemonade stand and on sit and he's sitting behind it. Except instead of selling lemonade, he's selling a swift kick in the butt, one dollar. And Hobbes walks up and says, "How's business?" Calvin says, "Terrible." Hobbes like that's hard to believe. And Calvin says, "I can't understand it." Everybody I know needs what I'm selling. Does this sound like an author you know? <laughs> Especially nonfiction authors. Uh, fall prey to this. They forget that uh, writing a book, telling everyone how wrong they are and how right you are, no one wants to buy that book. If I was Calvin's consultant, I would say, don't sell a swift kick in the butt, sell motivation or sell getting kids off somebody's lawn, right? You got to connect what you're selling with what people actually want. You can present your book as a vitamin or you can present your book as a painkiller. And for the sake of your book sales, I hope it's a painkiller. So what pain does your book reduce? I encourage you to think about that for a little bit. And some of you are like, I'm a novelist. How can my book reduce pain? Have you ever been in a difficult place in your life and you felt like some books helped you get through it? That reading about characters in your stories, overcoming hard times, gave you courage to overcome hard times? There's a, a great quote, I think it's by C.S. Lewis. And he says, fantasy books are true, not because they tell us that dragons are real, but because they tell us that dragons can be defeated. And sometimes that is exactly what people need. They need that hope that the challenges that is faced by the protagonist of your story and the challenges that your protagonist is overcoming are challenges that person can overcome as well. Or maybe they're just lonely or maybe they're just bored. And if you are writing uh, nonfiction, why should somebody read your book? What is the benefit? How will their life be made better after having read your book? Once you know what that is, everything else gets easier. And that is why it is our first brick. The second brick is to get to know your readers. Now, I told you to get off of social media just you know 15 slides ago, and now I'm telling you maybe to get back on social media, but you're going there with an entirely different purpose. You're not going there to build a platform. You're not going there to talk about yourself. You're not even going there to talk. You're going there to listen. You want to hear what your potential readers, your target readers are saying about the books that they're reading. What do they like? What do they not like? What makes them want to read their books? When they are all talking about a book, read that book. Read what your readers are reading. And a really great exercise that I encourage every author to do is to find a representative reader. Find your Timothy and write your book of Timothy for Timothy. And if you can thrill Timothy, you can thrill millions more. I used to recommend, and what a lot of the other gurus recommend, is to create an avatar or a persona or a construct. And I found after working with authors for over a decade is that authors have really good imaginations and it's really easy for them to create imaginary friends who like everything they do. And when you ask your avatar a question, you're not actually getting an answer from a real human being. You're just asking yourself. But when you get a real human and you decide to target everything you do for that real human, you can ask that human questions. Like what social networks do you hang out on? And you find out that they're not on Twitter and Facebook, that they're on Quora and Reddit, or they're on Parler or somewhere else, right? That's very useful to know. You can also hopefully get them to be a beta reader and give you feedback on your book itself. Useful strategy for both fiction and nonfiction. 
All right, now it's time for brick number three. In some ways, it is the most dramatic brick. This brick, if you will be willing to pick it up off the pile and use it on your platform, will double your platform and it can do it overnight. Although it's late on a Friday afternoon, so I'm going to say by the end of day Monday, you could have twice the size of your author platform. All right, here is how to do it. And it is to get a co-author. I know, I told you, you weren't going to like it, but this strategy works. <laughs> Seth Godin, number one marketing guru. What was the book that helped put him on the map? Guerrilla Marketing for the Home-Based Business with Jay Levinson, the old guru, and Seth Godin, the new guru. It's hard to imagine Seth Godin being the new young whippersnapper, but that's what he was in the 90s. And this book helped transfer uh, or helped uh, Seth Godin get his marketing book writing career off the ground. Now, who do you think did most of the work on this book? Seth Godin. <laughs> who do you think got most of the money? Jay Levinson. And yet, who got the biggest benefit? Seth Godin. Ted Decker, he writes kind of weird Christian fiction. So we're going from secular nonfiction to Christian fiction. Who did he co-author a book with? Frank Peretti, the other number one guy in writing weird fiction. So really, these sorts of strategies really help. Here's another example. Chicken Soup for the Slow. And here comes the bride, written by two dudes and a girl, or, and a gal. Who do you think did most of the work for this book? Probably the gal. Who do you think got most of the credit? Jack Canfield and Mark Victor Hansen. They probably also got most of the money. And yet, who got the biggest benefit for co-authoring this book with them? Susan M. Heim. For the rest of her career, she can say she wrote A Chicken Soup for the Soul book. And I think Back in the day, every one of these were hitting the New York Times bestseller list till they were excluded. I, I think they were excluded. And so, but either way, she can say, I'm either a New York Times bestselling author or I can say, I'm the author of one of the Chicken Soup for the Soul books. And we all know what that means. You can even, even do it with ghosts. So, Robert Jordan, the number one epic fantasy writer, he had the number one epic fantasy series. He had two million pages of notes. He had two assistants. He had a wife who knew how the story was going to end. And he died <laughs> before he finished the story. So his wife called up Brandon Sanderson and said, will you finish the story based off of my husband's notes? Brandon Sanderson did that. And now Brandon Sanderson is the number one epic fantasy writer. So why do you write? Let me go back to that question I asked at the beginning of this presentation. Are you here because you want to be somebody? Because you want the maximum font size for your name on the book cover? Or are you here because you want to do something? If you're willing to give up some credit, if you're willing to give up some control, there is no limit to what you can do. So let's talk about where to get some more bricks, because there are a lot more bricks to building a platform than just these three. And the first place I'd recommend that you go is to Google. Type your question into Google. Uh, when I have an employee who asks me a stupid question or a simple question, I often will send them to a website called Let Me Google That For You. And it takes their exact question, the way they send it to me in an email, and they send them a link. Here's your answer. They click the link and it shows a video. It's like, this is the internet. This is a search engine. It's called Google. Let's type your question into Google. And it puts their question into Google. Then it clicks show results. And then it's got posts that have the answer to their question right there. For technical questions, for specific technical questions, especially Google is amazing. And you really should go there first. But Google is useless if you don't know what questions to ask. As James L. Rubart often says on our podcast, it's hard to read the label when you're standing inside of the bottle. 
So where do you go for that outside perspective? Well, what a lot of authors do is they go to Facebook groups and they post their question to Facebook groups. But the problem with this is that the authors who spend the most time on Facebook groups are often the authors who are the least successful. Because if you're busy writing books and making money as an author, you don't have a lot of time to answer questions for random strangers on Facebook for free. Some authors do it. I, I do it. I go on Facebook groups to answer questions. But more often than not, you get answers from other wannabe writers who feel better giving you advice. And what happens, and I find myself debunking a lot on the podcast, are myths spread from Facebook group to Facebook group, bad techniques from people who don't know what they're talking about. Now, another strategy that you'll see is a more successful author, somebody who does know what they're doing, will put together a course. And you'll see presentations of these courses uh, kind of along the lines of, of this. They say, I was a struggling author like you, but then I learned techniques that worked for me, and now I am successful. Buy my course, and I will show you those techniques. Have any of you heard a pitch like that? Have any of you heard an author selling a course uh, along those lines? Now, this isn't bad, right? This is a lot like a quarterback saying, I used to struggle playing as a quarterback. I got injured all the time. And then I learned these exercise techniques that have helped keep me from getting injured. And they've even improved my game. I'm a better quarterback than I ever was before. Buy my course and I will teach you the exercise techniques that I learned. And this is great if you want to be a quarterback. But what if you want to be a defensive end? What if you want to play hockey? What if you're a gymnast? Gymnasts get injured just as much as quarterbacks. In fact, potentially more so, I think, in general, gymnasts get more injuries than football players. And yet that advice, not going to be helpful. What if instead you went to the team doctor or a doctor who specialized in working with athletes? The credibility of the doctor doesn't come from the fact that she played football it comes from the fact that she went to medical school. And this is all of the difference. And I realized that this is what has happened with me. My medical school wasn't actually medical school. <laughs> I'm not a doctor, but I have been working with authors for a really long time in that kind of role. I started off as a webmaster. I founded authormedia.com. And for 10 years, we built websites for authors. I'd go to conferences, I would speak, we would build websites, and I really got deep in the technical side of things. If you want to talk about RSS feeds, if you want to talk about WordPress plugins, I can talk about WordPress plugins. In fact, the number one bookstore plugin for WordPress developed by Author Media, my company. I was also a marketing consultant because after we would build websites for authors, they would want us to help them with the rest of their marketing because they were so happy with the website that we built them. And I got to work with New York Times bestsellers, mid-list authors, and authors just getting started. And one of the things I learned working with authors at all different stages is that there are techniques that work when you're established that don't work when you're first getting started. And so when you're getting advice from a New York Times bestselling author who's super famous is talking about book signings, Signings are a great technique if you're famous. They are a terrible technique if you're not famous. It's you sitting in a bookstore all by yourself questioning reality. It's an existential dread for somebody who's just getting started. And so it's important to know where you are and what techniques work for you to help you get to the next step. I also served as the marketing director for Enclave Publishing, where during my time there, I increased sales of their books across the whole company by 500% increase of sales. And the other benefit of me being a marketing director is that I had access to all of the marketing data. I got to see what worked, what didn't work. I got to create experiments. I got to innovate new marketing techniques. And I got to uh, experiment with all of my author clients, or not, they weren't clients, they were 
in some ways I was their client, all of the authors who are with the company. And then of course I was a literary agent. And as you all know, I'm also a podcaster with over 400 episodes across my podcasts for authors. And as a podcaster, I've talked with pretty much all, almost all of the top experts in the industry. So I've had a chance to have conversations with people like Joanna Penn and Chris Fox and Steve Lobby and others. And for a while, it's like, man, this is really a general education I'm getting. Kind of like a doctor. We, every doctor has to deliver a baby, uh, even if they uh, end up becoming a coroner. <laughs> I have a friend who's a medical examiner for a major city. And while he was going through medical school, he had to catch two babies before he could graduate, even though that's never a fear. <laughs> Somebody brings a corpse in to the medical examiner's office. They're never wondering if a baby's going to come out, but he had to get that general education. And I realized that this general education that I've gotten, working with authors in all of these different ways, has prepared me to create a course on platform building. And what I've done is I've taken what I taught in Hawaii uh, for, I did a week-long training in Hawaii and I did a week-long training in Switzerland. And I am turning that into an online course that you can take from home. So I'm excited to announce Obscure No More, the complete guide to growing your author platform is in beta release. You can sign up as a beta student to get immediate access to the sessions as they come out. And my goal with this course is that it is the entire stack of bricks. <laughs> Every brick you could need to build your platform is all there in one place. So you're not having to hunt around the internet. Building a platform doesn't feel like an internet-wide scavenger hunt. It's all in one spot. And my goal is for each one of these sessions to be comprised of bite-sized video sessions. So they're not all up yet. In fact, almost none of them are up at the moment. I have some courses that I've already made that are bundled in. So like the how to get booked as a podcast guest is bundled in. The Art of persuasion is bundled in. But as I make new sessions, I'm going to release them to the beta students immediately as soon as the, you know, the videos are edited. And then a week later, I'm going to do a Q&A call with those students where they can ask me questions. And if they're all asking the same question, I might go back and redo the video. <laughs> so it's very helpful for me to have that access going together. And you're also going to get immediate access. This is going to be the way my grandmother did pancakes, where she took pancakes right off the skillet and put them right on your plate. So there's no waiting until the very last pancake is cooked. And then uh, the beta students will get lifetime access. So when the version 1.0 comes out next year, the beta students will have that version. They'll have version 2.0. I plan to have this be my signature course, for this to be where all of the platform building information is going to be. And my other kind of focused courses, like I'm going to make a course on how to start a podcast. Guess who's going to get that course? Everybody in this course. I'm going to do a course on blogging, do a course on email. Those breakout courses will all be inside of Obscure No More. And then of course, there's going to be a student Facebook group where you can ask questions of the other students and interact with me as well. And there are currently 83 spots remaining. Let me turn on, I just realized there's uh, no button. So you can go here. So adding the button. So the button below the video that's now below the video or those of you watching the replay, it's been here the whole time, uh, will take you to the page where you can get the course and will activate the discount. So, so let's talk about the discount. How much does this course cost? Well, if you'd have come to Switzerland to hear me present, it would have cost you about $5,000 depending on how much uh, frequent flyer miles you had. So maybe you could have gotten it for $3,000 plus 100,000 frequent flyer miles. 
And while going to Hawaii to teach for a week with my newly wedded wife was fun, going to Switzerland with my wife and six-month-old baby was less fun. And now that I have two little ones, me traveling to fun exotic places to teach for a week on marketing is over. I think if I were to try to do this again, I would have to do it over my wife's dead body and none of us want that. So the course isn't going to be $5,000. The course next year when we sell it, it's going to be $1,500. And there will probably be a patron discount if you're a patron that will bring it down a little bit below that. But it's not going to be $1,500 for those of you who get in with the beta program. It's going to be a one-time payment of $500 or 12 payments of 50 bucks. And in fact, uh, when I added the coupon, it's a tiny bit less than it's like 49.50, something like that. And then you'll have lifetime access. So now you do have to finish all 12 payments and <laughs> Teachable won't let you access the course if you, you know, your credit card expires and you don't finish 12 payments. But assuming you finish the 12 payments, you'll get all of the upgrades and all of the bonuses to the course moving forward. Uh, but let me talk real quick about the biggest perk of being a beta student. And that is that I'm going to add sessions based on beta student needs. So I'm going to be polling the students frequently about what order to do the sessions. So things on email and podcasting and blogging, I'm going to do those for sure. And, you know, they're going to get made, but which ones I do first, you know, if you're about to start a podcast and you really want me to do the how to start a podcast module first, you know, then you vote for that. If you're, you know, really needing help with email, vote for that one. And I'll make them in the order in which they're the most useful for the students after I do the big picture strategic sessions. Those are going to go first for sure. But also, if, if the students are having questions, if, if you and other students are really needing help with some specific thing, some new things happening, let's say, you know, Amazon gets broken up by, uh, or Facebook or Twitter get broken up by the government, right? There's an antitrust case or something. And they're like, we need, you know, you to cover that. Then I'm going to create new sessions based off of those student requests. Uh, this is the closest thing you can get to consulting, one-on-one -on -one consulting with me, where I'm creating content specifically for you and based off of your questions. And it's a lot cheaper <laughs> than my one-on-one -on -one consulting. A consulting retainer with me is $500 a month. And so this is one purchase of that. And I don't take a lot of consulting retainers because I'm busy with my two podcasts, my two kids, and now this course. <laughs> so um, like I said before, there's going to be uh, Zoom calls after every major module is posted. So after I do the big strategy module, we'll do a Zoom call. And you will ask your questions, and I'll answer all the questions. Those of you who went through the book launch blueprint will know what this looks like. I stick around and answer every question, but I'll also be asking you questions so it can help tailor the course for you. So all of the students who go through this course in the future will benefit from your feedback. Put another way, this course is both the cookbook with the recipes in it. So you can pick the right recipe for you because every author is unique. So the strategies that work for a nonfiction author may not work for a novelist. And so we're going to be talking about the different recipes and how they work, but it's not just the cookbook. It's also the ingredients, right? Why is it so easy for them to cook on the TV? Because they have all the ingredients right there. I could do that too. If I had everything pre-measured in a little cup where I just dump it in. For me, the hardest part about cooking is hunting around the kitchen for that one thing that I need. And so this is both the cookbook and the pantry. You won't need to do everything in this course to build a platform, but everything you need to build a platform will be in this course. Once upon a time, there were three little authors that went off to find their publishing fortune. The first author came to a company that said, if you publish with us, we will get you published immediately. And that sounded pretty good to the author. So he got his book published with print-on-demand company, 
And then came the big, bad Barnes and Noble. And the little author said, Barnes and Noble, Barnes and Noble, let me in, let me in. And the Barnes and Noble said, who are you? We've never heard of you. And the Barnes and Noble blew away the first little pig. The second little pig came across a man who was with Acme Publishing. He was a literary agent. He said, if you publish with Acme Publishing, you will be on your way to success. So the little pig published with Acme Publishing. And then along came the big, bad Barnes and Noble. And little pig said, Barnes and Noble, Barnes and Noble, let me in, let me in. And the Barnes and Noble said, okay, you're with Acme Publisher. We will put you on the shelf for 30 days. And after 30 days, all of the unsold books were returned to Acme Publishing, where they were then set on fire. Although nowadays, they're more likely pulped, hopefully pulped, and turned into books from authors that people have heard of. This happens with a lot of authors. Their books get returned, and then Acme Publishing won't have anything to do with the second little pig. But the third little pig built a tall brick platform so that whether he published traditionally or independently, no Barnes & Noble would ever blow him off. Minimum effort leads to minimum results. Maximum effort with the wrong methods leads to minimum results. But hard work brings success one brick at a time. I would love to help you with those bricks to be the answer to your questions, to help you with the technical bits, the strategic bits, and the tactical bits. And I hope that you join me on Obscure No More course and by clicking on the link below this video. Present day, Thomas here. That was the webinar. Now, when I recorded the webinar, there were 84 spots left. Now there are 62 spots left as of this recording. So I thought I'd give you an update on that. If you do want to get the course Obscure No More, there is a link in the show notes. We had a poll during the webinar on the name and the name Obscure No More did not score the highest, so I may be changing the name of the course, but the content won't be changing. And if we do change the name, I will announce it here on the webinar. Our featured patron today is Peter DeHaan, author of 52 Churches. Peter and his wife visit a different church every Sunday for a year, and this book is their story. Discover more about Jesus's church, the people who go there, and just how vast our practices and worship are. Are. And thank you to Peter DeHaan for being a patron, helping keep this podcast on the air. The Novel Marketing Podcast is listener supported and supported by patrons like Peter, and it's also supported by those of you who buy courses like Obscure No More. Those are what keep me feeding my family and keep me making these uh, free podcasts for everyone. If you can't afford to become a patron, I get it. 2020 has been a rough year for a lot of us. There are some free ways that you can support the show. And one of them is to just share a link to this episode with one person you think would find it helpful. That is incredibly valuable. So thank you to all of you who share. Uh, Thank you to all of you who've left reviews. And thank you to all of you who have been listening. To Thomas Umstead Jr. on the Novel Marketing Podcast to find the blog version of this episode or the video version, <laughs> which we have today, or to get new episodes delivered to your phone automatically, visit authormedia.com. Thank you for listening and live long and prosper.